Welcome to Biocompatibility, the first ever podcast focused on the biocompatibility of medical devices. NAMSA is happy to bring Biocompatibility to you, where each episode features leading industry experts and their discussions on biocompatibility challenges. Be sure to visit www.namsa.com for more information and to access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Biocom Chatability. We made it to episode three. We, we have. We've made it to episode three. I don't know how, but well, I mean, I guess we shouldn't be too impressed with ourselves that we have three episodes. No, no, I don't think three means much in this world, but uh, <laughs> in the world of podcasts, that is. In the world of podcasts, where if you're us, you just kind of hit record and start talking and see what comes out, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and it continues to be the Sherry and Don show um, for now. For but, now. For now. <laughs> Do you well, think we'll be able to convince people to join us, Don? I really thought we could. Maybe, uh, maybe there's not. Gotta, there's got to be some takers out there. Some place, be somebody. Somewhere, <laughs> there's somebody that's saying, this sort of interests me. I'd be willing to talk with these two people if they let me. So... If nothing else, but to, you know, tell us the story of where they are in the medical device world, how they got into biocompatibility. I know I didn't ever expect I'd be talking about biocompatibility on a podcast. Well, in when I graduated college, of course, podcasts didn't exist, but I never thought I didn't even know what biocompatibility of medical devices was. And it certainly wasn't why I got an advertising degree. I, well, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I didn't, you know get a biology degree to um, evaluate medical devices for non-clinical safety, for sure. Just that statement right there leads to confusion in any family gathering that I can think of. So what is it that you do? <laughs> right. What Standard is it response. <laughs> what is that? Yeah, you really don't care. So moving on. What Anyways. A, that That's a whole episode in its own of what is it that we really do? Because I have the same same conversation with people when they ask me, well, what do you do? And I can tell them I'm a marketing product manager, but then when they want to know what my product is, it's like, well, that's a whole nother story. And we had a colleague that years ago that used to just say he sold insurance. And that's kind of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as long as they understand I don't work at NASA and I work at NAMSA, <laughs> you know, or, mark it down as a successful conversation, I guess. Right. And if you type in N-A-S-M-A instead of N-A-M-S-A, which sometimes I do when I mistype. It's something about mules, I think. Oh, excellent. It's a, nice. it's an association about something about mules. So I've, I've accidentally gone to their website when I've been typing incorrectly. But anyway, I don't know where we got, how we got there, but this is, this is it's, the podcast. This is how Biocom Chatability happens. Yes, yes, it is. And th this is more like a, a stereotypical Sherry and Don conversation right here is diving off into a conversation about mules that started somehow with biocompatibility. <laughs> but anyways, before sure. you know it, superheroes and mutation and mutants will come up and we'll be yes. off on another tangent. But and we'll, butterfly, we'll that. butterfly, rainbow, unicorn, kittens as well sometimes come into sometimes, the conversation. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. So. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna talk today about ISO ten nine nine three part twelve. So extractions, how and why we have to do them. And I think we realized this as we were kind of halfway through episode two that well, we maybe missed a step here in important step in biocompatibility 
where you have to do an extract. Like we can't take a stent and put it into whatever test model always that we need to. And we have to work on extracts and, and you can't just look at something like that and, and make it relevant without pulling extracts out of it. And so that was kind of a bad explanation of what we do. Well, you know, it, it sort of is what we do. And it's, it, and it's sort of how we realized last week when, again, we're talking about cytotox sensitization and irritation. And it's not that you need extraction to do those studies all the times. So there are methods where it doesn't come into play. But they, it, it more than likely, if you, you know, are looking at biocompatibility testing, the concept of extraction is going to come up eventually. It's not very often that it wouldn't. So, yeah. But to your point, Jerry, it, it is just basically trying to get something that you can actually dose into a study, whatever study that you're doing. So if, if you're trying to simulate what the human body may pull out of a device once it's exposed, once the body is exposed to the device, and then you're trying to assess what the, you know, the hazards are from that exposure, you know, that's what we use extraction to do, to, to basically simulate what the body might pull out of a device. And then that gives us an extract from a device that we can then dose into a study. So, yeah, if you have a, a huge vascular catheter that, you know, partly goes into the patient, you know, it's going to be hard to get that into a sensitization test as a complete device. But you can extract it, simulate what might come out of it, and then dose that into a study and understand what the effects are. That's more plausible. So that's, that's what extraction does does for us in a lot of cases, you know, in a lot of different ways with a lot of different vehicles, generally speaking, polar and non-polar vehicles. And, uh, but not always depends on what the exposure is, but that's where it gets a little bit more complex as well. So, you know, if I get a infusion system that never contacts the patient directly, but infuses water into the patient and then, well, I just have to worry about polar and not so much non-polar because there's no non-polar exposure. That was a lot of negatives, but I think, I think it came correct. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, this is always a challenge and, and Don and I have talked about, we do, you know, we conduct trainings all over the world and it's always a challenge to understand, especially folks that are new to biocompatibility testing in particular, what, it, what it means to do an extract and, and why it's a challenge and what happens to a test article when it comes to the laboratory. So if I send you know, this piece of mesh material to a laboratory for a series of tests, you know, there's a, there's a specific unit in a lab that their job is to just prepare these samples in a general way for whatever test they need to, to have on them. So if I need to have a cyto, a sensitization and irritation, there's people that have to actually take these test articles and prep them properly before they go on to the laboratories. Don, I know you you managed that group at NAMSA for a number of years and so have a lot of experience there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you have a, a room full of boxes, um, literally in some days, maybe rooms full of boxes, and those boxes all may contain inside of them the final, the same final finished product. And you have 15 tests that you have to do. And 12 of those 15 tests involve at least two extracts, if, if not more, but in some cases, just one. And you have to sit there and stare at all the boxes that you have and figure out, okay, how much sample do I need for each test? How many devices do I need for each test? And before I start tearing into devices, are there enough sitting there for me to get all this done? Just making sure. And then the, the fun part starts. You, you open up the, 
the box. You have a protocol that's telling you what you're about ready to do. And you have to figure out, okay, of this huge device that's inside this container, what goes into the study and what doesn't. And that's part 12 as well. ISO 10993 part 12, the, the selection of what you're going to test. Um, right. And, and, and the hopes that... There's yeah, cutting and w- cutting and weighing and measuring and like there's literally tools that are used by these folks that are some pretty industrial type equipment to prepare and, and cut test article. And I think a lot of folks don't realize that you have you have to do be destructive sometimes to perform testing uh, and that that can cause issues in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, and, and part 12 allows for that. I mean, it, it, it talks about subdivision of sample to uh, to basically enhance or allow for the testing to actually be be performed. Um, you know, we're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, primarily ISO 10993 part 12, um, but there's other standards out there or other guidances that we, we look to to um, evaluate medical devices as well that talk about extraction. I mean, before part 12 was around, United States Pharmacopeia was often the reference. Um, Section 88 out of USP contained, contains, still does, a, a really similar table to Table 1 and ISO 10993 Part 12 that tells you about those weights and those ratios, you know, 6 square centimeters per mil, 3 square centimeters per mil, 0.2 grams per mil, so on and so forth, to use. And, and then you have to figure out which one of those are appropriate for the device that you have in front of you at this uh, at, at a given moment so that you can get that that preparation of the sample performed first based on part 12 so that you can go to the next step, which is actually performing the wet extraction, actually putting the extract on the test article, putting it in an incubator for a given amount of time, maybe 50 degrees Celsius for 72 hours. And then after that, collecting that extract and sending it on into a study. So again, yeah. Yeah, you so you mentioned so USP so part 12 first came out in 1996, correct? Yeah. Yep. So not a I mean there's been certainly some changes over the years that was that was a lot of years ago. So there's there's certainly been some changes over the years. I know in 1998 we had a series of articles published we as in NAMSA had a series of articles published in medical device and diagnostics I believe. Uh, about the different segments of part 12. And so we actually still have the part 12 or the different segments of 10993. And we actually still have those on our website. And so the part 12 one, as I was reading through it, it seems like, I mean, it's certainly still relevant today, but there's been small additions and changes. I don't think it's changed as drastically as what we've seen, say part one (laughs) or part 18 for sure. Maybe even part four, part six, some, but, but part 12 seems to have, have stayed somewhat static with just some exceptions. And I know they're working on it right now. I think it's due for another re-release within the next year or so. Yeah. And I mean, there were conceptually, I would say not a whole lot has changed. I mean, the standard definitely grew overall, you know, and, and there was, there were more informative annexes added and stuff like that right there there's a reference now to the the japanese exaggerated extraction and those types of things but conceptually you know using standard ratios and then applying heat and time and collecting an extract typically polar and nonpolar. i mean that's kind of 
what it was then and what it is now with, you know, a few more specifics, obviously sprinkled in today than what there may have been back then. And, you know, the regulatory environment has definitely changed in how a lot of this stuff gets performed. If I, if we go back into the early 1990s, you know, just again, speaking from what, from what I recall back then, anyways, um, (laughs) (laughs) the, uh, yeah, it was pretty standard fare to if you if you couldn't use a roller and a caliper and some simple measurements to figure out the surface area of the device, you didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. You prepared that device based on the weight of the device per mil versus the surface area per mil. If you did that type of thing today, uh, yeah, regulators would would ask for a justification pretty much immediately because. And, and it was always like this. I mean, the standard had, tends to want you to use surface area versus the weight ratios. So that, that, that concept has certainly changed over the years. Likewise, if you touch your extract today after you do the extract, and by touch it, I mean change the pH, filter it, centrifuge it, do anything like that, you better have a justification for why you needed to touch the extract post-extraction. Whereas, again... Even in 1996, that verbiage was in the standard, but just how it was done back then in the 90s, and especially the early 90s, there wasn't a whole lot of concern about filtering extracts. I mean, I remember extracts being filtered fairly routinely to get the particulates out of them um, without people giving much thought to it necessarily. Mm -hmm. And again... That you, you don't do that today. You so the you, justification in today's world is is yeah. very different. Even though it's kind of always been in there. If you partic- if you need to filter, it has to be justified. And and so previously that justification may have could have been it needed to be done versus what the expectation is today. And the challenges that you get when you submit something that says it might have particulates in an extract, you're going to get challenges and questions. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I think like we say there's there's been some some changes but the general process is 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 fairly consistent with with what it's always been. You just have to be be careful in what you do and make sure that if something seems a bit out of the ordinary that you're you are somehow justifying it. And it kind of goes a long way the the, the same path as uh, the extraction temperatures. Yeah, um, I was gonna. I was gonna talk about that. So first, I want to give a, a URL. So here's a a link to get to directly to this paper we're talking about that was issued on Part Twelve from 1998. It's it's interesting to read. So the the link to get directly there is www two. That's the number two. dot namsa. dot com slash Part Twelve P A R T one two, and that'll get you directly to that paper. If you want to just look at some history, I think it's it's interesting to look at that. I think we have big aspirations to update all of those one day, Don. That's maybe a, a, another <laughs> know, my to-do right? list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that I've added podcasts to your to-do list, let's just add updating all those papers to do, but to as well. But I think it's interesting to read those and and to see not a lot has changed, but the little nuances that certainly have changed the way we do business and the way that our customers can expect the life of their sample once it hits our door the changes that happen or when it hits any laboratory for that matter. So you were talking about starting to talk about temperature. And I think this is something we constantly get questions about is that 
it's going into the body. The body's 37C. Why in the world do I need to test it at 50? And certainly why would I ever take it to 72 or 70? And, you know, there's this, this concept of over challenge and what's an, what's enough of an over challenge. And all of this is kind of developed in the USP in part 12. So, you know, how do you, how do you select temperatures that, you know, are going to be acceptable and, and obviously you have to know what your material can tolerate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even that was always in part 12 and quite honestly, it was in USP at a high level too. Right. You know, sure. This, this mentioned that whatever temperature you pick, you know, it shouldn't essentially degrade the, the material and, you know, USP talks about, uh, slight softening of the material. Um, I always think of it as, uh, like if you have a piece of small diameter tubing, and it goes into extraction as a piece of small diameter tubing and comes out as a blob. Well, that's not what we're trying to do here. Um, right. So, yeah, that's a that's a really that's such an interesting point, especially. And I know we're going to talk about characters, chemical characterization when we go forward. But that's a real challenge when it comes to chemical characterization. The difference between extracting and degrading, like yeah. the, the fine line of where do I cross over from where my material is still basically intact and what it is to where it changes its structure and starts losing and falling apart for lack of better word, like my scientific terms there, it it just starts to, you know, deconstruct and where's that fine line. And I think there's some, some things that we're doing when it comes to chemistry to, to avoid that because it certainly gives you awful data on the back end If you, if you go into degrading the sample, but even for something like a cyto and intracutaneous and irritation or acute systemic, that's still important to know where we cross that line. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think people tend to start with the temperature of extraction. So the standard gives us the, the standard options, you know, 50 degrees C, 70 degrees C, 121, 37 degrees C. And, and the idea is that you're going to pick a temperature that's, if you can, hotter than body temp or hotter than clinical use conditions to exaggerate the exposure because we're trying to prove safety with some exaggeration. And often the temperature is our exaggeration for a lot of these extractions. And and so the first thing that people think of is that temperature of extraction. But the other thing you have to think about is the temperature in combination with the vehicle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're using saline and you degrade at 37 degrees Celsius, well, that for most devices would stand to be a problem because who knows what you're using it for, but it seems like it's going to be a bad material for most applications. But again, you know, you're trying to usually exaggerate it. So you go to 50 degrees C for 72 hours, a standard condition in the in ISO 10993 part 12. But again, that might be okay for saline. It might be bad for vegetable oil. Right. But, right. but is it okay with polyethylene glycol? Can you swap that out? So I, again, you and 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 I, I remember at some point making a comment. You know. Who has ever designed a medical device to be suitable for extraction <laughs> and various vehicles at temperatures higher than what it's intended to be used? I mean, because that's literally what you're asking yourself when you're thinking about part 12. And yeah, you don't typically design a device in that concept. It, it, exactly. Yeah, certainly. It, yeah, you're not thinking about that when you're choosing yeah. materials necessarily. You didn't design it to test it. You designed it for for it to do what it needs to do in a in a clinical application. So um, this tends to sometimes 
cause a little bit of frustration because you can't get by it past the extraction step to get into the testing step, whatever test it is, until you know that your your device can withstand this extraction process that you have to put it through. And you may not be able to exaggerate the clinical exposure, but you're going to have to justify that for sure if that's the case. And usually, you know, regulators like to see data as part of that justification rather than necessarily making assumptions that, you know, this is what's going to happen, presumably. So we're not even going to try. Um, it, and so yeah. what are some things that, and I know, I remember years ago when I was, you know, a sales rep and I was helping customers submit testing and, and they would say, how am I supposed to know which one of these to choose? How am I supposed to know which one of these to choose? And I know a lot of times it's outlined in the proposal, at least what the, maybe the extract solvents are going to be the solutions, but not always the temperature. And it's certainly something that, that laboratories will expect their the the manufacturers submitting the testing to know what their samples can withstand. So is it is the the kind of rule of thumb to go as high as you can without degradation and hopefully you can find that information somehow to oh, to select that or that was a good rule of thumb. Uh, that <laughs> that was kind of the rule of thumb that prevailed for quite some time. Okay. Um, but and this is where it well, I mean, it's sort of in the standards now, but um, more of a regulatory thing that I see come up. And that's, you know, we're, we've been talking about your device withstanding extraction. And today's world, it's been taken one step further than that. And you also have to worry about degrading what you've just extracted. So we're trying to extract chemicals yeah, and then determining what effect those chemicals have on a test. So... By virtue of temperature and or vehicle, you don't want to ruin your extractables either. Oh, God. So this, this sounds way more complicating than I thought. <laughs> so, so yeah. I, so I, I understand what you're saying. I understand. Yeah. yeah. So 70 degrees C might sound really okay for a lot of materials. 70 degrees C for 24 hours, another condition that's in the standard. But I've seen that used and then questioned by regulators in today's world, because how do you know 70 degrees C didn't bind, degrade or somehow some other in some other way, basically ruin the chemicals that you just extracted out of your device? Thereby, now you can't analyze the safety of the chemicals because they didn't exist in the form that they were actually pulled out of the device. So maybe so, that's kind of more focused on chemical characterization or, or you see that for all tests i've seen it for all oh okay okay but i I have usually when i do see it chemical characterization testing of device extracts is the is the lead-in to the state yeah so okay yeah if i'm trying to through that chemical characterization and again we haven't talked about that yet in podcast form but um you know trying to identify chemicals well if i just ruined the chemicals degraded the chemicals after extraction because of my temperature it's going to be even harder to identify the chemicals. So it's, it gets to be a fairly sensitive little process that, you know, we're trying to extract and not destroy things, but exaggerate the clinical exposure to protect safety as well. So we got to sure. think about all that fun stuff. And, and when it comes down to the chemical level, then it gets even harder, I would say, because you don't know necessarily what chemicals are going to be pulled out. So how would you ever theorize whether or not the temperature is going to degrade those chemicals? So today's world, (laughs) I I would say my favorite temperature, 50 degrees C. My favorite temperature. 
My favorite temperature is probably 37 on a beach somewhere, but that's well, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. So 50 C is, is kind of where we've landed on a lot of things for, and with the exception of, right, Saito with the yeah. Yeah. serum, right? Yep. Yeah. There's always going to be tests like cytotoxicity, in vitro, uh, genotox, where you do an extraction in cell culture media. And that yeah. cell culture media can only withstand. Well, it's kind of an example of temperature ruining things. Well, sure. There you go. Yeah. You know, you cook your cell culture media and you, you ruin the cell culture media and the cells don't have anything to live on anymore. So, yeah, that that certainly is isn't is an exception to that exaggeration rule. And and again, it, it, it does give a good example of something where temperature messes with the vehicle. And so we just don't extract above 37 degrees Celsius. And then, you know, on top of all this stuff, you have the, you know, whether you're what you're doing with the extracts afterwards as well, which plays into what the extraction vehicles are. In addition to what you selected to test, in addition to the temperature of extraction, you know, the vehicles actually have to work in the study you want to perform. So cell culture media being used for cytotoxicity so that you don't have to do a post-extraction dilution with cell culture media. You can just dose it right to the cells without much modification, if any, and, and things are good to go. But again, you always have to think about the vehicle and the test that you want to perform, whether it be in vitro, in vivo, or a chemical analysis. Interesting. Wow. I mean, I, I think part 12 is one of those topics that um, certainly there's lots of, of nuances about and We've tried to to cover a lot of it in this in this short time together, and so I appreciate that. Don, is there anything lastly that you know you want to give as far as advice or suggestions? Or you know, I'm always I'm always a proponent of work closely with your laboratory. They can help you on some of these things. I think that's a great rule of thumb anytime that you're doing this. But it is important to at least understand from a manufacturer's perspective why we have to make these decisions when we're submitting those samples. Yeah. Definitely working with your laboratory because these the laboratories that do this type of work are going to have a ton of experience in doing this type of thing. And, and especially smaller companies, you know, you might address this once in your company's lifetime and never have to worry about it until the device changes again. But, right. you know, and we've done it probably hundreds of thousands of times over the years, huh? E easily, easily. I mean, we were looking in our database just at some rough numbers and I found, you know, basically half a million examples. Um, and that's not in NAMSA's in complete existence. That's just the time this database was, was alive. So yeah, there's a lot of experiences with any of the laboratories that do this type of work. So it makes it very beneficial to reach out to them and say, hey, this is what I, this is my device. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Um, can you help me figure out how we're going to actually extract it? This is what I think, you know, go in with some, some ability to make an somewhat of an educated guess as to what you would do and, and bounce that off of your laboratory before they actually start doing the yeah. test and, and be prepared to, in some cases that you may have to do some experiments before the experiments just to address extraction and and that's becoming more and more common to make sure that your vehicles and your temperature are actually suitable for your device and if you don't want to, and most laboratories won't let you jump right into a test if you don't know that that 
is all going to work out okay they'll they'll want you to say okay do you know this vehicle and this temperature are going to work well with your device and and if you're assuming the answer is yes and and you don't have some good rationale as to why that would be the case you know you might have to do some preliminary investigation into extraction first before jumping right into the test excellent great advice yeah i think your study directors on on glp programs are going to be a great asset there to to help with these types of things so Thanks, Don. I think that um, we've done we've done quite a bit on part twelve today. I'm 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 pretty pleased with where we ended up. <laughs> Maybe, I'm. It doesn't really matter how pleased I am. I guess. Uh, hopefully, we everyone's found this useful. Again, that URL for finding that paper that we talked about that was published in 1998 is www2. That's the number two. dot namsa. dot com slash part twelve. And you can download it there and look at it. I think it's it's interesting to look at some of the history. And we don't know what our next topic is going to be, but I assure you we'll be back for episode four. And we are looking forward to talking to you all again. So thanks. And we'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy biocompatibility, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast store. For free resources and material, remember to visit www.namsa.com slash resources slash podcast.